I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. And I dropped my daughter off at her internship. Okay, so last time we talked, I started talking all about Urza's destiny. But I didn't finish. So today, I will continue. Um, so where did I leave off? I left off, uh, in, I was in C. So Covetous Dragon. So Covetous Dragon costs four and a red, so five total, one of which is red. It's a 6-5 dragon. It flies, of course. And if you control no artifacts, you sacrifice it. So this was part of a three-card cycle. Um, I'll actually talk about all three of them as we get to them. This one cared about artifacts and wanted to have artifacts. And uh, I always talk about how um, the goal of uh, Urza Saga was to be an enchantment block, yet it's always perceived as an artifact block. Well, here's one of the things contributing to that. Um, this was really good in an artifact deck. In fact, so Codish Dragon, um, the idea we played around with was we liked the idea of, hey... You know, here's a dragon, he loves artifacts, as long as there's artifacts around, he's happy, he's cheaper, but if you don't have artifacts, he goes away. So the famous story with Covetous Dragon took place at uh, 99, the 99 World Championship in Yokohama. Um, so Marco Bloom, who uh, probably is best known for being on Phoenix Foundation, which was um, a Pro Tour team that involved... Um, Kai Buda, Dirk Babarowski, and Marco Bloom, and they won two years in a row. Um, and they were, like, the dominant team for a little while. Uh, they were all very good. Anyway, Marco Bloom um, was the, na- the German national champion in 1999. Um, that is the same year, by the way, that Kai Buda would go on to win the, um, would go on to win the world championship. Uh, Kai at the time, by the way, was a somewhat unknown. I mean, he had done well in Europe and at a lot of the European Grand Prix. So the people that kind of were in the know were where who he was. Um, but he, he, was, he was not yet, you know, Kai Buddha that he would later become when he won seven Pro Tours in a very short period of time. Um, anyway, so Marco Bloom was playing uh, this very artifact-heavy deck. I think, in fact, Marco Bloom might have been playing the exact same deck that Kai Buda won the World Championship with that year. It was very similar. Basically, it was an artifact-heavy deck that, that was mono-red. Mono-red with artifacts. Um, and the idea was, the deck had so many artifacts that, like, by the time you could play a Covetous Dragon, of course you had artifacts. Um, and there's a famous play that Marco Bloom... Marco Bloom, by the way, before I talk about this play, very, very good player. I mean, he might have been the the weakest player on Phoenix Foundation, but that's only because he was with two Hall of Famers, including one of the best people to ever play Magic. Not that Dirk was even a sludge there either. But anyway, um, so Marco is playing, and he gets to the point where he can play his Covetous Dragon. Um, like, he draws it a little bit later, and he plays it. Normally in a deck, like, you're using artifacts to even play the, the Covetous Dragon. But he plays the Covetous Dragon and then realizes he has no artifacts. Like, this is, like, the finals of the World Championship in one of the games. And, like, he plays his Cup to Dragon, only to discover that somehow... I mean, this deck always has artifacts in play. It's just the way the deck works. But through some quirk of fate, just somehow he managed to not draw artifacts and get enough mana and play Cup to Dragon, and it immediately died. Um, and one of the things that's sucky, by the way, is it sucks when, like... Like I said, Marco Bloom is an awesome, awesome player. German national champion. Multiple Pro Tour winner. And, you know, the move he might be most remembered for is just a stupid, like, you know... Like, his deck always had artifacts in play. So it's the kind of thing where you didn't even think about it. It wasn't like you had to be really careful about it. You always had artifacts in play. 
but this one time, in this one match, in this one game, in this one championship, you know, world team championship. The Germans were playing the Americans. Um, who was the American champion? I know Z was on the team, but he wasn't the American champion. Um, but anyway, the, the Americans ended up beating the Germans. Uh, in fact, the funny thing was the, uh, champi- the team championship was Germany versus America, and the individual championship was Germany versus America. Uh, Kai Buda was playing, uh, I think, Mark Lapine of the United States. Um, and Kai crushed Mark Lapine, but the Americans managed to win in the team event. So um, it was 1-1 for Germany and America in the finals that year. Anyway, Cuddish Dragon went on to be a very popular creature. It's powerful. Um, there were so many strong... Even though, for all our saying we were trying to make an enchantment block, it, it will forever remember it as the artifact cycle. And an artifact, uh, most of the broken cards... Or not most. A lot of the broken cards in the... In the um, in the format in the block, were either artifacts themselves or interacted with artifacts. So uh, anyway, Cuddish Dragon ended up being quite the uh, quite the player. Next, disappear two blue blue. So four mana, two which is blue. It's an enchantment, um, enchant creature specifically an aura. Um, so for blue, one blue mana, you can return enchanted card name and this enchantment uh, disappear to owner's hands. So the idea was, if I put this on my creature, then I've now protected my creature, and I can use it to, uh, for one mana, one blue mana, I can use it to bounce whatever I need to. But the enchantment itself also gets to come back. Um, Now, there's a couple different ways you can do this. A, you can put this on your opponent's creature if you want. So essentially, for three blue blue, um, you can... I'm sorry, for two blue blue blue, for five mana, three of which is blue, you can bounce one of your opponent's creatures... Um, or you can put it on your own creature, and then if something, if some shenanigans happen, or something where it's about to die, you could use it to bounce. Remember, I talked about this last time, that um, damage on the stack at the time existed, because 6th edition rules. So there are some shenanigans you could do with that. Um, one of the things you'll see, by the way, as, as the evolution as we go along is, or as creature enchantments especially, um, players... The, the average player, I'm not talking the top-end player, the, the, the really established good player learns early that, oh, they're card disadvantaged, and so they, they're very hesitant to play uh, creature enchantments. Um, but, like, I used to do a thing called Deck Clinic, where I would, um, I would, people would come, come to me, and they would um, give me their deck, like at a convention or something, and I would look through it. Uh, and one of the common things I would do when I would look at, you know, beginner's decks is, say, the following. I would say to them, um, you might want to have more creatures in your deck than creature enchantments. Creature enchantments are very, very popular with um, a less experienced player. They're fun, they're flavorful, they seem kind of powerful, um, but that's because until you understand card disadvantage. The problem with an, an aura most of the time is, let's say I put it on my creature and you manage to destroy my creature, I've now lost not one card, but two cards. Um, and so because for card advantage reasons, they've never been um, in constructed particularly strong, um, not that strong and limited, although slightly better limited, just because creature removal is a little more infrequent. Um, but anyway, uh, we're always on the lookout to try to figure out ways to sort of make auras that are somehow don't lose you the card advantage. So this is one example of us trying to mess in that space a little bit. Because if you normally, for example, let's say it just bounce the creature, well, then you'd lose the creature enchantment, and then, you know, it, it's, it's not good card advantage. But anyway, um, I like this card. I think it was a... One of the things that's fun about doing your own set when you're the only person designing the set is you can make a lot of cards that you think are entertaining. And this was a cutesy card. It didn't end up being particularly good, but I, I always appreciated kind of the, uh, 
I don't have the design of it. Next, donate. Two in a blue sorcery, so three mana total, one of which is blue. Uh, target player gains control of a permanent you control. Okay, so this is a great story to this one. So, one of the things I used to do um, before I went to Wizards is I loved, I was a Johnny, and I loved making just weird, crazy, fun decks. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I enjoyed, one of the fl- things I enjoyed, I made a deck that the whole idea of the deck was I would get into play things that were hard to maintain, that had weird upkeeps, or just things that were difficult to deal with. And then I would give them to my opponent. Um, like, for example, I would uh, take Force of Nature, for example. And Force of Nature says if you don't pay a whole bunch of green mana, it does eight damage to you every turn. So what I would do to it is I would put a Spirit Link on it, which uh, whenever it would do damage, I would gain life. So as long as it had Spirit Link on it, I didn't care if it damaged me because it, it, you know, it would do eight damage to me, but it gained eight life, whatever, it cancel out. But then if I ever gave it to my opponent, if they couldn't pay for it, which often was hard if they weren't paying green because it required a whole bunch of green mana, th- th- it would not only do eight damage to them, I would also gain eight life. Um, and so anyway, I made a whole deck of stuff like this where I would just get out things that you wouldn't normally want to have, and I would give it to my opponent. And at the time, um, I think there were two ways to do that. There was a card called Juxtapose in Legends that allowed you to exchange, I'm not sure it was a creature for a creature. might have been a creature or an artifact for a creature or an artifact, but at least it was creature for creature. I used to exchange creatures. Uh, and then there's an uh, artifact called Gauntlet of, Gauntlet of Might, I think. Gauntlet of, no, Gauntlet of Chaos. Gauntlet of Chaos. Uh, and that also allowed you to exchange things. So... Um, so anyway, but one of the things was the only way to, um, to do it was I always had to take something. So I, I had to exchange things. I, I wanted to give you my thing, but I had to take one of your things. And one of my problems I'd run into was this was during an era where people didn't play creatures all that much because, um, you know, just, uh, legends had a bunch of like the abyss and it had a bunch of cards that really made it disadvantageous to play creatures. And so one of the things about the environment at the time was people didn't always play creatures. So one of my problems in this deck was I wanted to exchange, I wanted to give you a dangerous creature, but the problem was I had to exchange it. So I had to figure out some way to give you a creature, you know, um, which wasn't really easy at the time. And so what I really wanted is I just wanted to give you my creature. Why can't I just, why must I take a creature? Can I not just give you a creature? Um, so when I got into R&D, I said, you know what? Here's a card that I always wanted. I was a Johnny. I go, this is a fun card. And my thought of the process was, you know, hey, what danger could this do? It's a pretty goofy card. And, like, my deck was never, a, you know, a top-tier deck or anything. So I'm like, okay. So I made Donate, thinking, you know, like, like this is a goofy card. This is the kind of card that, like, people have fun with, and Johnnies can go to town. But, you know, it, it's not a major player. You're never going to see it, like, in a tournament, you know, a major tournament. Uh, okay, flash forward. Um, so, um, I'm not sure the format at the time. Uh, I think it was... Uh, before Legacy, there was a format called 1.5. Uh, I don't know whether this was extended or, uh, or, or proto-Legacy or whatever, but there was a format in which um, there's a thing called uh, the Tricks deck. Why the Tricks deck, real quickly? Uh once upon a time, somebody made a deck um, which recursed uh, something. They, basically, they had something that did damage whenever you played a creature, and they recursed a shield sphere or an ornithopter or something like that. Um, and the idea is they would keep playing the same zero-drop creature, but every time they played it, it would do one damage to the opponent. So it allowed them, when they got out, I, I forgot the enchantment that 
I forgot the enchantment that got it back to you, but it was a three-card combo in which you can do infinite damage to your opponent, basically, by playing a zero-drop creature, it does one damage based on the enchantment, and then this other enchantment, when, when the creature would die, instead of it dying, it went back to your hand. Um, I'm blinking all the names of the pieces of this. But anyway, the deck was called Fruity Pebbles. Um, I don't know why they called it Fruity Pebbles, but they did. Uh, and then somebody made a version of it, but I think it had Necro in it, so it had Black in it, so they called it Cocoa Pebbles. Uh, and anyway, that set off a whole thing for a while where all the decks, and I think it's extended, were named after cereals. It, it was a thing. So anyway, somebody made a deck. So they figured out that if you take the card Illusions of Grandeur, so Illusions of Grandeur, which has a cute little bunny on it, um, so Illusions of Grandeur, um, what it does is it you play it, and it gives you 20 life, uh, and then it has a cumulative upkeep, which gets harder and harder to pay, uh, and then at some point, if you can't pay it anymore, then it goes away. And when it goes away, you lose 20 life. So the idea was, while I can keep this thing in play, uh, I'm more powerful than I seem. It's sort of the flavor of it. Um, but, so here's where Donate comes in. This is where Donate proved to be very effective. So I play um, Illusion of the Grandeur. I get 20 life. Now I donate it to my opponent. So now my opponent has, is in a bad situation. They now have an enchantment that is a cumulative upkeep. With, with, with blue in it. So if they're not even playing blue, it's super hard for them to upkeep. They now got to do a, they now got to pay Cube of Upkeep. Oh, for those who don't know what Cube of Upkeep is. So this was introduced in Ice Age. Cube of Upkeep gives you a cost. Let's say the cost is blue, a single blue mana. The first turn, the upkeep is just a single blue mana. But the next turn, now it's double. It's two blue mana. Then it's three blue mana. Then it's four blue mana. It just keeps, the, you have to pay the cost multiple times depending on how, how, what number of turns it is. So Cube of Upkeep just gets harder and harder to pay. So I give you Illusions of Grandeur, which I think the Cube of Upkeep was a single blue mana. Um, if you don't pay it, it will go away. When it goes away, you, the controller of the Illusion of Grandeur, lose 20 life, which usually was enough to kill you. So the idea was I get out Illusions of Grandeur, which, by the way, can help protect me against you as you're trying to defeat me. Once I get my donate, I donate it to you, and usually it'll kill you unto itself, but hey, I, maybe I have a disenchant or I have some means to destroy it, which will immediately kill you. Um, and the deck was called Tricks because it was tricky. Um, and uh, it was, it became really popular. And so Donate went from being this ha-ha goofy card to being a like top-tier tournament card. Um, and I said, I vowed that we made a mistake because one of the problems was if, if you can just easily give away things that are dangerous, it's harder for us to make cards that kind of are dangerous to you. Um, and so I said we shouldn't make those anymore. And then in uh, Eldritch Moon, we made Harmless Offering, which is a red donate. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, the development said they, they, last time we didn't, like in Urza's Destiny, we didn't really test for it. It ended up being broken. I mean, there were a lot bigger problems, I guess, in Urza's Saga Block than, than donate. But um, this time around, they claim they tested it. So we'll see. Okay, next, Elvish Piper. Elvish Piper is three and a green for a 1 1 Elf Shaman. For green and tap, put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So this was the first card, essentially, from um, Unglued. Unglued had a card called Timmy Power Gamer. It basically did this. I think the numbers were, were not quite as good as this. Um, and we decided at some point that we could just make Timmy... Not only could we make Timmy Power Gamer in black border, because it was in silver border originally, but that we could, um, we could do it with better numbers. So, um, and the funny thing was that I'm not even sure if Unglued came out before Urza's Destiny. I made it before Urza's Destiny. 
I'm not sure if it came out. It came out around this time. They were close to each other. In fact, I think it came out before Earth is Destiny. Um, but anyway, it, it's one of those examples of a, of a silver border card inspired a black border card. Okay, Emperor Crocodile. Three and a green, so it's four mana total, one of which is green, for a 5-5 five, five Crocodile. And if you control no other creatures, sacrifice uh, Emperor Crocodile. So this is, I said uh, before, that um, Covetous Dragon is part of the cycle. So this was a three-card So Here's something you don't see often. Um, although there's, um, I, we, we do this occasionally. It's a, in a cycle in which there's a number of them. There weren't five, though. There were just for as many as it made sense to make. And at the time, there were only four permanents, um, permanent types. Planeswalkers would come later. But there was lands, there was creatures, there were enchantments, there was artifacts. So what we did is we made three creatures that cared about having a particular permanent in play. We didn't do land, because obviously having land in play was not much of a, not much of a uh, problem. So Emperor Crocodile required other creatures in play. If it was ever the only creature in play, you had to sacrifice it. Covetous Dragon did artifacts. We'll, have, we'll come up to another one later that does enchantments. Um, I, think, I think Emperor Crocodile saw a little bit of play. Um, not as much as Covetous Dragon. Um, but I, I do believe it's all a little bit of tournament play. Um, it is a big crocodile. Somehow, it's funny, if you look at the crocodiles in Magic, uh, they tend to be pretty big. We, we, uh, we, we, we like to think of crocodiles as like, yeah, I can take on a hill giant, no problem. It's, a, it's an emperor crocodile. Okay, next. Eradicate. Two black black. It's a sorcery. So four mana, two which is black. Exile target non-black creature. Then search the graveyard hand and library and exile all copies. And then you shuffle your library since you look at the library. Um, so Eradicate was part of a five-card cycle. The idea was I destroy something or counter something. I, I get rid of something. Um, blue, blue did spells with Quash. Um, let's see. Uh, green did artifacts. Red did land. And white did enchantments is my guess. I believe that's what it was. Uh, black did creatures, obviously. And the idea was it, this was inspired by this card Lobotomy that I had made in um, Tempest. And Lobotomy was a spell in which I looked at your hand, took a card out of your hand, and then basically got all, rid of all the other copies of the card. That I, I sort of, I read, you no longer know how to cast this spell was the idea. That's the flavor that I've lobot- lobotomied you. So the idea here was something that sort of um, kind of punished you for playing duplicates of things. Uh, and so in Eradicate sort of, it both killed something and then lobotomied you was the idea. Uh, and I liked it. I liked lobotomy quite a bit. I was inspired, so I made a full cycle here. Um, Eradicate saw some tournament play. Um, one of the good things about it was that uh, if you were ever facing something where you had a key component, like in order to make it work, there was a combo deck, or there's just some card that was really, really important to the deck, this really hammered those kind of decks. Because not only did you get rid of one copy, you got rid of all the copies, and then it became hard for them to do the thing they needed to do. Um, but anyway, I like to eradicate. And um, the funny thing was originally, I, the problem I ran into was that there are only four permanent types at the time. I have no, no planeswalkers. So like, okay, I destroy lands, I destroy creatures, I destroy enchantments, I destroy artifacts. Uh-oh, how do I make a cycle? How do I make a... And, and uh, we then realized that the thing we were missing was instant sorceries. Oh, but... If I made a counter spell that counters instants and sorceries, then I can also use that. So now all the card types were, were covered. Um, so also at the time, the yeah, interrupts had gone away because 6th edition had just happened. So we no more interrupts. So yeah, it's quash. I, it must have just been instants and sorceries. 
Okay, next, false prophet. So false prophet costs four mana, two white white, so two uh, generic and two white, um, and it is a two-two human cleric, and when it dies, you exile all creatures. So it's a wrath, a, a death trigger wrath of God, essentially, although it exiles rather than... Um, I think at the time we were messing around with trying to shorten some of the stuff um, and basically saying you couldn't regenerate, just took more space and saying, okay, we didn't have the term exile at the time. At the time you removed it from the game. Um, but anyway, this is another example of uh, a pretty solid card. This card saw some play in tournaments. Um, and, and the idea essentially is, okay, I have a creature, but when I need the creature to be a Wrath of God, it turns into a Wrath of God. Now, I need a means to sacrifice it or get rid of it, but th that's not that hard to get. Um, so False Prophet was uh, sort of Wrath of God on a stick. Uh, in fact, a Wrath of God that could attack you until the point at which you had card disadvantage. Uh, and the other cool thing about it was, so let's say I, I got to a situation where I, I was in trouble. Well, now I can use this as a blocker, and like, if you attack me, the threat is I block with it, have it die, and then all your creatures die. So it also was a real good, um, it was a real good thing to prevent the opponent from wanting to attack. So False Prophet did, did good work. Just threatening what he was going to do often was enough to do the thing he needed to do. Um, and once again, like I said, we're playing into the Death Trigger space. I mean, one of the things you'll point out as you go through a set like this is um, a lot of what happens is, I mean, especially in the olden days, was I really had a theme, I was playing up the theme, and I would hit the theme a lot. There weren't tons of Death Triggers at the time, by the way. It's not, not like there were a lot of Death Triggers in Magic. This set introduced a lot, I don't know how many there were prior to this set, but this set might have doubled the number, or maybe more than that, you know, that, that it introduced a lot of effects. And so I was also interested in saying, what are basic effects that we've never done as a Death Trigger? So, I mean, False Prophet is a good example. Okay, next, Fledgling, 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 Fledgling Osprey. So it's a, costs a single blue mana, it's a 1-1 one, one bird, and if it's enchanted, it has flying. So Arabian Nights had a card called Flying Men, which was a 1-1 one, one flyer for a single blue mana. Because um, original Alpha had Scrib Sprites, was a 1-1 one, one flyer for a single green mana. And at some point we decided that, that was too good, that you couldn't have a 1-1 one, one for one drop that flew. And so this was me, I really like Flying Men, this is me trying to make a Flying Men-like card. Um, it's way, obviously, way weaker than Flying Men. And since then, we've realized that, eh, you know, blue and white can do that. You know, I mean, green shouldn't do it. But blue and white can have a one-drop, you know, one-drop, one-one flyer. So um, this is a good example. It's funny how if you look at the evolution of Magic, um, early Magic, really, the spells were really, really strong, and the creatures were relatively pretty weak. And a lot of the history of magic is us going, oh, these spells are a little too strong. No, still too strong. Nope, still too strong. And the creatures, these are too weak. No, still too weak. No, still, you know, and it took us a long time to get the equilibrium. Um, I think my guess is because they were repetitive damage, I think Richard overestimated um, how powerful they were. And so um, one of the things that's true is that early magic, um, you know, there was amazing design that went on early magic, but real... Like, modern development didn't happen for a while. Um, and, you know, it, until you understand the system... It's very, very hard, by the way. Like, right now, we have a, design, a development team that, like, are Pro Tour players that have been playing Magic for 20 years. That you know, like, like, And we, we understand the nature of how Magic works. And even now, with all that history and all that knowledge and all that experience, it's still really, really, really hard to balance Magic. So, we'll, we'll, get, we'll give Richard a break in that... You know, he was working with a system that he was he was just guessing at. So, um, 
That's why I, I think the power. But the other thing was he was trying to definitely make it exciting, and and I I, I think that uh, it took us a little time to understand quite how where the right level of spells and creatures needed to be. Next, flicker. Ooh, flicker. So flicker costs one and a W, so two mana, one which is white, sorcery. Exile target, non-token permanent, then return to the battlefield under owner's control. Um, why do we say non-token? I guess we were afraid they would just destroy tokens. Um, so this was, ver- uh, uh, I designed this to be a vertical cycle. Um, so originally, Flicker was an instant. I don't think it had the token rider, and it was at common. Uh, and what happened was I turned over a vertical cycle, and then uh, the development team... I don't know, they were worried about it or something. They ended up making one of them, taking my common, turning it to a sorcery, adding the rider about tokens, and putting it at rare. Um, and so, so this is an effect I really love. This is, uh, like, this. what happened was, okay, so the, the history of flickers. So when I first got to Wizards, the, the first set I ever worked on was Alliances. The second set I worked on was Mirage, uh, and I was on the development team. Um, and one of the things is they introduced a ability called phasing. And what phasing did was a creature with phasing every other turn would go away and then be away for a turn. So the idea is beginning of your upkeep, if it was if it was in play, it would phase out. If it was out of play, it would phase in and essentially at haste. So on the turns that it phased in, you could attack with it. And the idea was you paid for a rat, you know, you paid cheaply for the creature, but you got it half the time was the idea. Um, so anyway, while I was working on on Mirage development. I, um, I I did a lot of designing. I did a lot of hole filling and stuff. And one of the ideas that I really liked that ended up being on a couple of cards was making creatures that could phase themselves. Meaning that phasing wasn't just on there half the time. It also was a means of protecting yourself. So if you had phasing, if you had activated phasing, the idea is, okay, what happens is if you ever try to deal with me, I can phase myself out and then I come back next turn. Um, and I really, really like that execution of phasing, the idea that I could... Um, and also, by the way, there's a card called Oubliette from Arabian Nights. And what Oubliette was is you put a creature in jail, essentially. And so the idea was when you put it in jail, it locked it away. But when you ever took it out of Oubliette, it came back and it triggered as if it were being cast again. Uh, same with the, if you, um, if you, if you uh, phase something out. It didn't trigger Lee's play effects at the time. Uh, or it did, didn't. I mean, phasing doesn't do that. But... Uh, um, but anyway, it did, when you brought it back, it did trigger enter the battlefield effect. So anyway, I, I just was very entertained by this. And so I decided, what if I just made an effect that lets you do that in anything? Okay, it goes away. Um, this flicker was an immediate flicker. Um, and I remember when I first made it, I, I called it Tabla Rasa. I think I put it in blue. And then I realized I liked the Enchant Me theme in blue, so I made that the blue vertical cycle. So I ended up moving psych- uh, sorry, Flicker to white. Flicker's always kind of been a white or blue thing. Um, they're the two colors that make the most sense, and obviously the colors we do the ability in. Um, anyway, I love flickering, and obviously it's become a core part of magic. This was the first time it ever showed up. Um, but it was something that I really enjoyed, and so... And the one thing about flickering is that it, it works so well with so many different things that it's so easy to go, well, we'll put some flickering in the set because it just, it just combos with the set. It combos with everything. It's, uh, I have to say, it's the Ginsu knife. Of, but you guys have no... Most of you probably don't know what the Ginsu knife is. It's a, a commercial from long ago about a knife that did 8,000 different things. Anyway, uh, I'm showing my age. Okay, but next is Gamekeeper. So Gamekeeper is a three and a green, four mana, one which is green, two, two elf. When it dies, you reveal the top card of your library until you reveal a creature 
and then you put it on the battlefield. So the weird thing is, when I originally made the cycle, this was exactly like Academy Rector. Originally what it did is when it died, you went and searched for a creature and then brought it into play. So the, interestingly, the development team thought that was overpowered, and so they changed it to just go from top of library. But they didn't change Academy Rector. So anyway, I, I'm not, not sure quite what's going on there. Um, but originally this was made, this was made to be part of a cycle with Academy Rector. Just the trick is, it got, not all of the cycle got chained, so quirkily it was this thing where I made a cycle, they all worked the same, and then in development they changed one of them but not the other? I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but uh, that, my friends, is Gamekeeper. Okay, next. Goblin Gardener. So three in a red for a 2-1 Goblin. When it dies, destroy target land. So this was just a death trigger um, stone rain, essentially. And uh, I, I don't know, it, didn't, it entertained me much. Um, uh, the, goblin, the other thing I love about the Goblin Gardener is, this is just a flavor thing, is I love the idea that it's a thing that destroys land. So it's a goblin, so you label it as the opposite. Like, oh, I, I, I'm a gardener, but I'm a goblin! So it means it's not good things for your land. We had an ongoing theme for a while. The goblins just were, were like super destructive. We always would name them as if they were trying to be the person who helped it and then always destroyed it. So I thought that's funny. Goblin Marshal, four red red, for a th so six mana, two which is red, for a three three Goblin Warrior. It is Echo of four red red. So by the way, Echo, for all of Urza Saga, the way Echo worked is you had to re, on the second turn, uh, the second upkeep, so the first upkeep the creature was in play, you had to pay its mana cost again or else it went away. You sacrificed it. Um, later in Time Spiral, we would retroactively do Echo, so we would list what the Echo cost was, allowing us to do Echo costs that weren't the same as the original cost. Um, so retroactively in Oracle, now all of the Urza Saga ones just have an Echo cost, which was their, their casting cost. Um, so this, or their mana cost. So anyway, um, anyway, so when Goblin Marshal either enters the battlefield or dies, you make two 1-1 Goblin creature tokens. So the fun thing about this was, um, if you decide to play this and have it go away right away, you can get four goblins right away, or you can get two goblins now, pay it to keep around a creature, to keep around your 3-3 three, three creature, and then later to get the you know, two 1-1s. One, and so, um, there, are, there also were other shenanigans that you could do with, with Echo, by the way. If you had, if you had sack costs, um, for example, remember the... Um, Last time I talked about the creature that you could sacrifice to throw something. Well, one of the fun things you could do was uh, you would put the echo cost on, on the stack, and then you could sacrifice the creature. So you could both, like, so let's say I have Goblin Marshal. Um, I could play it. For, for six men, I play it. I get two one ones. I'm able to throw it to do three damage, and then when it dies, I get two more one ones. Uh, you know, that was the kind of thing that, that if you could find a way to use it, if you're going to sacrifice it, it allows you to sacrifice a creature and get the value of the sacrifice. Um, so anyway, that's another thing you'll notice. Is there's a little bit of a theme of sacrifice in it. Because another thing you can do with echo creatures is use them for some... Use their body before you pay them for the second time. Okay. How are we doing on time? Oh, we are good. We are good. So I'm going to... I'm going to stop right here. Um, so anyway, uh, that is uh, part two of Urza's Destiny. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying it. We've got a whole bunch more to talk about. I have a lot of more fun cards. But anyway, I, um, I'm at work. So uh, I'm in my parking space. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I'll see you guys next time.